Hope you got audio good. Hi. Hello. This is Deb from Deb's Dad at Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings Podcast Network. Today, I will be speaking to Dan Shaw. He is the Vortex Detective and has studied the energies of Earth, the paranormal, geography, and various aspects of science for life. He has had paranormal experiences since he was seven years old, including premonitions and later a UFO sighting. He has explored alchemy, geomancy, and sacred sites. Dan has authored several books, including Vortex Field Guide, North America, and has made multiple TV and documentary appearances, including consulting for some of those himself. So welcome, Dan. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be with you. You know, there's just so much to tackle here, but I think that everyone's going to want to know what happened in the beginning. How did you know something was going on at the age of seven? The origin story. Yes. At the, at the age of seven, I started meditating. I happened upon a meditation technique. Very simple, just a gazing technique. I moved into a new house and the light above my bed was a simple globe, just a sphere, a sphere, not a globe, but a sphere. And uh, it was on a dimmer switch. And so I, uh, before bed, uh, I could turn it uh, down very, very low till it was the only thing visible in my field of vision. And that was enough to induce an expanded state for me. And uh, look forward to doing that each night and so started a meditation practice without even knowing what i was doing but uh years later found out that there's there is a name for that technique and that effect and it is a well-known effect to be gazing at an undifferentiated field of light or color that field is sometimes called the gansfeld gansfeld you know, it's interesting as I have discovered that pattern that other people who have really strong experiences in meditation start really early. Um, I also started early, but I called it daydreaming. Like I said, mm -hmm. I, I insisted that I needed to have time to daydream before I went to sleep every night. And no one taught me that. So why do you think um, I mean, you said you found a book, but why do you think people just come to this like they're drawn to this before they even have understanding of what it is? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I happened on it. Uh, I, it wasn't from a book, the technique. Uh, it happened because I had moved into a new house and I had chosen this light fixture. And uh, so I maybe it was an inner knowing from past life, but I had a, you know, a tendency towards that. And then uh, following that, in the years following, I had uh, some psychic experiences, uh, just uh, moments of knowing something before it happened, something minor, some sports event, something like that. And uh, so uh, at the age of 14, I had a sighting of some lights in the sky, uh, actually below the horizon. So uh, very close to my own backyard, uh, one night some uh, large array of lights uh, turned on. And uh, although I, I didn't then and still don't fully understand, comprehend the, the full meaning of 
the message that I got from those lights, part of that message was definitely uh, question everything. There's things going on that aren't generally recognized. Uh, and I didn't become obsessed with UFOs at that time or even now, but it did uh, pave the way for me to uh, uh, other other life events, studying alchemy, and then uh, coming across uh, certain certain maps that I call vortex maps, uh, uh, geomantic maps, or the science of of geomancy, earth magic, and I was able to recognize that as a type of alchemy. So that, I think, kind of brings us, you know, four steps down the road from my initial meditation through psychic experiences, UFO sightings, alchemy, finally to to now the past 25, 30 years or so studying geomancy. Well, what's really interesting about that <laughs> <laughs> is that, you know, a lot of people do the same thing. They go on this path, right? They start absorbing all kinds of information from multiple sources um, once they are on the paranormal path. You know, like there's an integrative sense to it. Like you have to pay attention to more and you open your eyes to more. Do you agree with that? <laughs> For sure, it was a it was a paradigm breaker. You know, I had to have some kind of uh, you know psychic breakdown or breakthrough at that point. I had to understand that uh, you know how small my understanding was, uh, and how uh, how everything around me needed to be requestioned, and uh, mm -hmm. how how everything. Uh, uh, life needed to be reorganized around some kind of deeper truth, uh, largely unspoken truth. And, uh, you know, that does uh, still hold true today. And even in this moment, uh, taken uh, what some people have called the paranormal pledge to, to talk about the paranormal, to help normalize it. Uh, and I uh, haven't always done that. There was a time when I definitely kept my, kept my peace. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, uh, now uh, it's part of my purpose for sure to help normalize these things. And uh, although <clears throat> I'm on Twitter, I can't really tell what's going on with disclosure exactly. It's very confusing, but uh, it does seem promising that we are in seemingly in an age of some kind of beginnings of disclosure. Yeah, it's, it's funny. That's a word that gets kind of batted around, right? And I think it means something different to different people. And then there's like resentment if some aspect of it is left behind. So what does disclosure mean to you? To, to me, I think it means that there's a gen, uh, generally more and more recognized that it's a topic worthy of serious scientific study. Mm -hmm. So just the first little, the, you know, the first minute on that clock of disclosure from everything's normal to wait a second, everything is not normal. Just that far, that first little fraction of a minute. Right. And I, I, I hear you. I think the, the, the kind of things that people get upset about is like, we're starting to admit that there are objects that we can't identify that 
we don't think are human, right? So maybe that's one minute on the clock done. <laughs> We're starting to admit that the you know government definitely did RV work, remote viewing mm -hmm. uh, for for a long time and continues to do so. So maybe that's like five minutes in and on the clock, right? We're starting to admit that they're really interested in um, using the brain to control computers as an interface and then control objects as an interface. So brain to object movement <laughs> with an interface. So I think that's what, 15 minutes on the clock? So, do, so uh, I guess the thing that people are upset about, though, is that they're not just straight up saying, oh, and by the way, there's aliens. I think that's what people want. <laughs> I think the truth is going to be super highly nuanced. Like you said, there's going to be many different races, different levels of evolution, different agendas, conflicting agendas. So the more I study all of this, the more... Um, when someone presents a hypothesis ago, you know, that could be one of them, you know, that could be true. Like, I think there's truth mm -hmm. in all of them. Like, mm -hmm. as you know, one was really interesting that I heard that I haven't figured out a way to incorporate on my website yet, which is, um, the UFO connector, but it's, it's about the idea of beings that don't even have a body like like that they learn to go past having a body and i'm like that's one that that's possible too you know so i think it's actually exciting to be able to look at all of these possibilities and say you know i'm not going to close my mind to that yeah, absolutely um there's an analogy i think with the bigfoot community because in the bigfoot community you'll have a certain number of people who are of the mind that Bigfoot is obviously completely physical. It's essentially like an ape or some kind of totally physical species. And then you'll have this other camp of people who are like, oh no, Bigfoot transforms into an orb and the footprints just end in the snow. And, and you know, there's, and they're totally like excommunicated from the mainstream Bigfoot community. You know, there's maybe kind of a similar thing going on in the UFO community where people uh, get kind of siloed into what their what their truth is when when seemingly there's a lot of different truths going on. Um, if I may, uh, just bring us back, tie this thread back to how um, kind of going down the rabbit hole. People get one ex they get an exposure. It's uh, like a, what I like to call what Stanislav Grof called a mm -hmm. spiritual emergency. Uh, oh, yes. and, and, uh, they, you know, we, we have, and I think Joseph Campbell is beautiful talking about this kind of experience where, uh, we have, we have an experience, uh, that is, uh, it's an epiphany of some kind, and then it's up to us to then, uh, either we go insane or we, we, we take some gift some boon from that experience and we weave it back into our everyday life and you know after enlightenment uh carry water chop wood kind of so um the the trick i think is it is a spiritual exercise once you've had this kind of break with um consensus reality let's say once we've 
the like the vortex opens up, the gateway opens up, the supernatural doorway, the veil between worlds opens up, and we have access to this the next dimensions, the supernatural realms, then uh, it's, you know, it's a spiritual exercise to then to maintain our equilibrium and our equipoise and not to spiral down the rabbit hole and end up uh, believing every conspiracy theory, but still having that scientific method and, Mm -hmm. Mm, not believing everything offhand, not not disbelieving everything out of hand. Yeah, see, I actually have a harder time believing some of the videos I see. <laughs> you know, I do like because because nowadays there are so many that are faked, right? <laughs> so, so part of my view of everything's on the table definitely includes that some things are man-made, and some things are misidentified. But I'm also willing to say some things could be interdimensional some things could be you know so on and so forth like i'm letting everything stay on the hypothesis table i do have the hardest time with the future human hypothesis though that is the one that i am least likely to to go with what do you think of that one that's totally i i i feel like you're another myself because i'm uh you're doing ufos i'm doing vortexes and we're looking at, oh, man, there's a million theories out there. We better look at those and try to make sense of them and try to use, you know, use our best judgment and figure out what's true for ourselves and our direct experience and this and that, what checks out and feels true. And uh, so, uh, you know, a, a retweet is not an endorsement, right? Like something that we've just because I've interviewed somebody doesn't mean that I believe what they're putting forth or just because I've, you know, reposted this person's post on my web page or whatever it is. Um, I'm doing my best to, uh, you know, uh, synthesize, to bring together as many different types of research as I can and maintain that scientific approach. And, and also the, I'm a mystic, so I'm, I'm dependent on my own direct experience, you know, and so as soon as people go off into some elaborate belief system about, you know, the Kalantic sciences with all these future civilizations and interdimensional portals and gateways and underground cities, I, I'm kind of lost because my my direct exp- I've had some miraculous things happen, but my direct experience is very very narrow. So so I feel sure that I had some kind of contact with you know some intelligence that was you know, in the appearance of per apparent perception of some lights and some conveyance of some meaning. And I'm, of course, oversimplifying, giving you the abridged version, but crazily, I saw a bank of lights turning on and off in essentially like white, yellow, orange bank of rectangular lights. I say crazily like, because it was similar to the lights that you see in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But we do know that Close Encounters was definitely uh, involved with the Heineck and Blue Book and, you know, the consulting for it and everything. So I'll tell you, that bank of lights, there was some truth in that for me personally. So momentary bank of lights flashing on and off, limited number of colors, but a complex pattern that was enough to essentially be a language or to convey some, you know, it was deep for me. So I'm still trying to unpack it many years later. But I'm, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, 
I'd like to come right to the end. Let's let's both of us, if we may, just like race right to the end of this conversation, 90 minutes or 60 minutes from now. Um, what does it mean? What's the bottom line? Right. So I think about that. I think about are they just saying hello and wondering why we don't understand the way they wave. Um, and <laughs> I, I think about that all the time. Like so in, in close encounters, which a lot of people have talked about is very close to a lot of FOIAs that have come out, like the way they talked about yeah. radiation burns and all those yeah. things were pretty accurate and dead on, right? Um, including the way they are seen, like kind of grouped up together and as lights and so on and so forth, often lights. Um, oh, and the mass witnessing, that happens all the time too. People ignore that. They don't like to admit it, but it happens all the time. Um, so yeah, I think one of the things I said in that movie was that music was involved. Um, they kind of indicated like transcendental meditation kind of evoked the experience. At one point they showed a lot of people meditating, you know, um, and with the music, uh, that it was sort of supposed to be a communication. I would love to say it would be that easy that we would be able to crack a code that way. Right. But I don't think we know how to crack the code. I don't know we, that we know how to say hello back yet. Okay. But, uh, let me, let me ask the same question again, see if I can, cause I'm going to answer second, I hope. Okay. Taking it. What is the, from the experience, what meaning do you derive? in the like what is it finally in the end what does it mean to you how do you make it grow corn in your life or what you know i think um if if i really pause on it the bigger thing that like the the one that everyone kind of gravitates towards is not being alone okay and not being this little tiny blue dot <laughs> in a giant ocean of stars and gas and emptiness um, and acknowledging that there's something greater. You know, I think that's the big picture. Um, and that the opposite would be very, very sad. Being completely alone would be very, very sad. Um, I think it'd be heartbreaking, mm -hmm. you know? So I think for me, the ultimate thing is feeling kind of a universal family a sense of that if that makes sense yeah yeah for me there's other layers though for sure i'm going to go with that i'll take your answer what you said uh, but also um that we've they've kept the blinders on right there's that moment when the blinders come off when you're like what the hell? Why are the blinders on? And why has everybody got blinders on? That makes me think about some of the evolutionary work people have done, where they try to understand our evolution or what the point is and what we see, right? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Donald Hoffman. No. Okay, so he talks about reality. And one thing that he has said is that in evolutionary terms, it's actually um, more likely to have you survive if you see less of reality. 
right? So have we, like, have a lot of people just been evolving, <laughs> seeing less and less of real reality in order to survive, in order to adapt and um, be fit, which means to him to fit in, okay? Um, and then some people, on the other hand, find that in evolutionary terms, we have to evolve to see if we want to survive what might be coming. So it's one way or the other. Either he's right that it's about evolution in terms of where some people are seeing less than they should because it helps them to fit in. Or is it evolution in terms of some people have to see more in order to survive? Which do you think? For me... Part of the meaning is that we're being kept in the dark. You know, we're being isolated. It's almost like the uh, uh, the I'm gonna blank out the name of that Jim Carrey movie where he's in the reality show. Help me out here. The Truman Show. Truman Show. Thank you. Uh, it feels as though we have restricted access you and I, that there's like, they could pick us up on, you know, we could get on those ships. We could have that technology. We could be, uh, have free energy, but there's, it, it feels like there's a class or caste or an elite that, you know, is not giving us access that we're the, we're the under species. It makes me feel like that book slave species of God mm. is possibly correct. Or some thesis about how, we were genetically engineered uh, by these other beings, whether they're, you know, apparently more advanced. Uh, we, you know, it seems like before artificial intelligence, we were thinking of these other species as being like super highly advanced. But now with artificial intelligence, I'm just feeling more and more like, well, that's I now the exponential curve. We don't even understand what an exponential curve is. You know, yeah. and that like they might not be that far ahead of us, but as soon as they, you know, they got artificial intelligence a little earlier. But I'm, I'm kind of running around. I don't know if I've even answered your question, but I believe it's highly plausible that during before some kind of global cataclysm on Earth, and I'm gonna throw in, or possibly and or Mars, before some kind of planetary cataclysm, there was some kind of breakaway civilization that managed to maintain its knowledge and its technology while the rest of us kind of went back to square one to stone age right. uh, to me. And that is the deeper meaning of my vortex research. As I look at these ancient civilizations and how they built these monuments and the technology they used and how precise the geodetic locations and everything else. For me, the takeaway at the end of the interview, the takeaway really is that, of course, there were these advanced ancient civilizations. There's this great global amnesia. I don't know how we're still talking about this. You know, there was <laughs> there's these advanced ancient civilizations and there was some kind of global cataclysm. And these advances were largely destroyed by whatever it was, the younger dryas, meteor impact, uh, glaciation, whatever it was. Right. Uh, and now so we're left. Uh, like somehow with the crumbs, uh, uh, you know, almost 
I think I'm going to go back to Hollywood, uh, like the last scene in the original Planet of the Apes. You know, we're seeing the destroyed Statue of Liberty, you know, the last vestiges of the previous great civilization. I think that's. We are the talking monkeys. (laughs) That too. That too. (laughs) Okay. To be clear, I do know that we did not. Uh, this like we're not the descendants of monkeys. I know that we're the descendants of an ancestor that was a common ancestor with monkeys. Okay, oh, <laughs> to be <well>. clear, <laughs> I'm not totally sure because again, to my mind, it seems highly plausible uh, that at some point back in prehistory, some people were you know they already figured out how to slice the genome like we're figuring out now. You know, boom, and they just said uh, we're going to need a species. You know. We're going to need a species to do certain things on this planet for us. We're going to need a little manual labor down there. So we're going to split, you know, we're going to, we need somebody who will stand upright and who, you know, they won't have fur, but they'll have an opposing thumb. And they were just able to like splice and dice our species together. And, mm-hmm. but I also believe that we're also descended from the angels. So I don't know how to rectify those things. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I think when I think about the angels, um, and that's a term that I use loosely, I think, you know, whatever God is, whoever God is, may have sent a force forward to work with us, to create or interact with us. Um, if you know about mythology and Prometheus, there's a God <laughs> who decided to basically give humanity fire and was punished right if you know about the bible supposedly lucifer decides to give intelligence to humanity and is punished um if you hear about the angels they come to humanity they try to breed with humanity they get in trouble (laughs) you know it's like a pattern of something comes tries to do something for humanity and gets in trouble (laughs) so and then on on the flip side you look at like the egyptian mythology and they really cling to this idea that their bloodline has to be protected, their DNA has to be protected, and it comes from the gods. Mm-hmm. And that's and that is a story you hear over and over again in all the histories that there's a coming from the gods. Even I've been, I watch K dramas, even in their empires, like you're from God. You know, the the Pope was like the god that came from God. You know, <laughs> it's just like it just goes on and on and on. And then what does that mean? I think it means that we are living at a tiny fraction of our capacity as a species that we're definitely in a dark age as a species that we're a fallen, you know, we've been through numerous rises and falls. Yeah. I'm enthralled by all of the empty cities across the entire planet that people find these huge pyramids um i'm not referring to the ones in egypt because we know that those are at least in part tombs but i'm referring to like these mayan temples you know and there's cities like that all over there were cave cities in china um and they just got abandoned and like there's you know we know about roanoke everyone knows like there was like a little colony essentially that just disappeared like what is going on with this where i think the amnesia is like why did they just get up and leave 
right? So that happens over and over and over again in history. Um, and that's really intriguing to me. Um, like, why? Why did they just depart? But I will, I will go back a little bit on what we're talking about here. Um, the idea of having had genetic manipulation is something I think about quite a bit. Um, Bruce Brent Fenton, he's a researcher. He talks about this quite a bit. He yes. really thinks we were manipulated also. Um, oh. And it, if you look into what researchers say, they say at some point humanity consisted of about 1,000 Homo homo sapiens. 1,000. And yeah. that there's very low likelihood that that 1,000 would have made it to where we are now, basically taking over the planet alone like that's the indication right that that's like so improbable and yet it happened right okay and then and then other people point out that there were lots of um hominids on the planet and yet for some reason many of them just also vanished you know like I, it's not entirely clear why did all the neanderthals die you know what happened that they just all like did we really just hunt them all down that seems strange right um but there's so many places to hide you know bigfoot found some <laughs> so, <laughs> so well i would agree with you there uh yeah um the, all these uh to my mind uh it's important to kind of jump to the end of because uh you know um the i think we have we have these spiritual emergencies or, or these it's crises uh some people say uh it's a breakdown but i like to say it's a breakthrough and we have to we have to make the experience make meaning for us i hear all the time from people people contact me all the time and they've had some kind of a paranormal experience and they you know, can take years or a lifetime to integrate that experience. But that when I say integrate, for me, that means making it mean something useful, productive in your life, giving it, you lend it meaning. It's almost a kind of mythologizing. So, yep. so um, <clears throat> I people have those experiences uh, around vortexes, uh, but they also, I mean, these happen everywhere. And for my part, I've tried to, uh, I guess you could say, kind of put the blinders on in a certain sense and focus my attention on the paranormal experiences that are place related. And that's how I, um, I just find talking about vortexes is a nice entree into all these other topics, alchemy and such, mm -hmm. um, planetary ascension. Right. Um, but uh, I, you know, I, I find myself continually pulling myself back from speculating on all these other topics. That's not, I've spent the last 30 years looking, you know, just looking at vortexes. So I don't have a lot of light perhaps to shed on the UFO experience. Yeah. Well, we're definitely going to have to clarify all of that about what the vortex is. <laughs> but I I wanted to just comment on 
like how to me like the paranormal is a little bit like a mirror right like so when you start you're like oh these strange things are happening and then you go these strange things are happening to humanity and then the next step is what is humanity <laughs> like so what is what is our story and that's why we're curious about where are the neanderthals why did those civilizations disappear why do we not remember why do so many stories talk about angelic beings or gods coming and doing something with us why do we suddenly evolve so quickly in the last 200 years and have this major technological boom and this is one that gets me why do we have this urge to go into space that one really gets me. No other animal on the planet is trying to build a spaceship. <laughs> and But why do we seem to have this DNA pattern set into us that gets us to where we are now and in results in us going into space? Not only going into space, but trying to colonize it. It's, it is almost like a virus was put into some primate and the primate evolves over time it takes a while and then the primate ends up being a human right and then that human goes into space and what do they do they go to a planet and they spread their virus <laughs> to that planet and then that planet does the same thing that's what i feel like it's like i feel like we're part of a loop uh -huh. yep yep it's uh i get that i get that i my personal belief is that the features on mars do reveal intentional design so obviously i'm phrasing that very carefully but uh many of your listeners will be familiar with uh, the hoagland cydonia thesis and while i i don't buy the hoagland thesis 100 percent i have seen other studies that I, f I find more credible, uh, in particular one by Fred Mills, geometric analysis of the features there around Cydonia. And so I'm personally convinced that uh, Mars was at one time inhabited. And uh, so, you know, as these uh, NASA photos get released that seem to show something on Mars, uh, I'm I tend to think it's highly plausible that we are we must be finding things there and yet NASA must be uh, gatekeeping the information. I have so much to say about this. <laughs> okay. The so join us I, next time. <laughs> no, I have so much to say about Mars. Okay, here we go. The first thing to say is that um an individual um named thomas thompson has just recently put out a video on his channel which i believe is called cortex zero um and he's also <laughs> on and he just put out a video about mars and the fact that there were indications that there might have been a nuclear war on mars okay. and that that's reflected in ancient indian scriptures um and some other things which is awfully interesting this next thing i want to say is the scientific part about mars so years ago scientists said oh there's life on mars and then everyone ignored it and then some years ago 
not as long as that. Um, another scientist has said, we already told you there's life on Mars. Why are you ignoring that we already told you this? <laughs> and now suddenly we have this huge disclosure of movements. And what's happening in um, 2031? We're bringing back samples from Mars. Right, right as this huge disclosure movement is happening. Weird coincidence. Furthermore, if you're paying attention to the news about Mars, they're constantly saying there's water on Mars, there's ice on Mars, there's indications that there were rivers on Mars. And that is happening by NASA right now. I just tweeted another one of those the other day. That is constantly happening. So if you want to pay attention to what our remote viewers have said about Mars, what other researchers have said, what scriptures have said, what you have said, and what um, a few other people have said about Mars, there might have been something going on, guys. <laughs> yep, yep. And I'm so, yeah, go ahead. Well, we, we just have this uh, every reason to believe that there's going to be documents hidden away in the Vatican archives or wherever else that we're going to continue to not only to locate documents, but to be able to decode them uh, with with artificial intelligence now. That's, uh, that's already happening. That uh, cryptographers are, are putting the artificial mm -hmm. intelligence to work on uh, scripts that we, we haven't decoded yet. So very promising to, to see what those ancient texts are going to reveal. I feel like... Um, we're on the brink of discovering a great tragedy has happened. You know, that's that's what I worry about a little bit. I think we already know it. Like we've we've already you and I, we don't need to discover it because we already we can see it all. I mean, that is in terms of the meaning that we derive. We are the we're in the we're in the rubble of a of a fallen civilization is where we are. Mm hmm. Yeah, I remember Lou Elizondo, who um, has come on multiple podcasts over the last, I guess, five or so years. Uh, he made a statement about, you know, we may not be the top of the food chain, but he also said that if you were leaving a monument to a civilization, what would you leave? And he kind of indicated, you know, maybe DNA, right? It was kind of implied. So... If this is a civilization that's trying to leave something, um, has very little left, you know, that might be what they leave. They they pass their DNA like the angels attempted to do with humans. <laughs> you know, side note, parallel, interesting, right? Um, that would be a way to continue a, a last grasp for survival, perhaps. Although some people think that that civilization may have just went and hid in the oceans. Mm -hmm. Yep. Also plausible for me. Right. So I know you're studying um, sites um, and do you have an interest in the ones that are under the water? Have you been following the research on those? You got to be interested in underwater sites with the changes in sea level <clears throat> over the millennia. 
you've got to think in terms of geologic ages. Right now we're between ice ages, right? I half jokingly, I say, I'm not that worried about global warming. You know, talk to me about global warming after the next ice age, because we know there's these long-term cycles, 12,000 year cycles, more or less. <clears throat> cycles, sometimes uh, the, called the Milankovitch cycles, where we have these glaciations on global scale, massive amounts of water, miles thick ice sheets. Uh, So uh, sea levels drop uh, significantly during these ice ages because so much of the uh, water gets uh, caught up in ice. So uh, those civilizations, you could, I mean, pre-Diluvian civilizations, the word means before the flood right? Prehistoric civilizations uh, would have built at coastlines, which are now submerged. So you've, you've got to love underwater archaeology and, and look mm-hmm. at that. <clears throat> now from, uh, to just to draw the thread real tightly back to Vortex Maps. I have a website, which is Vortex Maps, where uh, I sell the, a, a world map that folds up into a globe that shows both the natural geometry of the earth and this exquisite geometry of monuments of ancient civilizations. It's called the earth star globe uh, that was by Bill Becker and Beth Hagens. Uh, so I've got uh, a, an actual paper fold up globe that shows uh, vortexes and the energy lines between the vortexes, which are sometimes called lays and mm-hmm. or lay lines yeah, so that Earth star globe uh, shows the geometry of uh, ancient monuments around the planet, and it is keyed into, and and I'll sometimes just loosely say, well, it's keyed into the Great Pyramid, but it's not exactly the the key point is in the Nile Delta, now now in the Nile Delta offshore north of the Great Pyramid, and we have really every reason to expect that out in the Nile Delta itself out underwater there will be another monument at that geometric point do you think they're going to find it oh i expect i expect so i mean if if we haven't already because again there's uh you know uh, common knowledge and then there's you know esoteric or hidden knowledge and and you know one has to believe that there's uh these secret societies are using geomancy you know have an awareness uh, you wouldn't think that, uh, you know, a king would choose his coronation day randomly. And neither would he choose his castle location or she, you know, so. Yeah, it's it's a well-known fact that ancient, um, I would, I want to say ancient cultures because our country is so young. <laughs> like we're, you know, we've only been around like a couple hundred years, right? So I think of like India, for instance, they they always would go to like a face reader or something before they made a determination about what they could do. People used to go to astrologers. They really respected opinions related to, you know, birthdays in um, ancient Korea and China, you know? So it's really interesting that there was that respect and understanding for things that were beyond, you know, what was surface level if that makes sense. Um, so yeah. you're right. Yeah, I think if, if people had an understanding of ley lines, um, 
which a lot of people think there was an understanding of by the Mayans, for instance, um, they would definitely be considering that and making those monuments. So I get it. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> I actually wonder sometimes if the pyramid um, is not only something that has to do, well, I've been to the pyramids in Egypt, right? Um, they're, you know, pretty significant in size. So everyone talks about, oh, it's crazy how they built them. But I often wonder, is this more than just a tomb in terms of, is it a symbol of something? Like, why do so many cultures cling to this shape, this particular shape, right? What is it about this thing that points to the sky? So no, just things to think about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, a cu couple of things in response to that. Um, first of all, I think uh, I have to disagree with your characterization of the pyramids being tombs. Because hmm. uh, I think the tombs are elsewhere. I don't think there's ever been an interment found in any of the major pyramids. So, so you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you might want to to double check that. Uh, double check me on that. Um, the the pyramid shape, to my mind, uh, is uh, energy has shape and shape has energy. So, the the effect, the energetic effect of a pyramid depends on that slope. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we're looking at the Great Pyramid, we're talking about a very specific slope, which is one-seventh of that 360-degree circle. So using our 360-degree circle, which is ancient system, uh, we end up with that 51.51 approximately. That's how, to my mind, we end up with, we establish like a true angle for the Great Pyramid there. So we have various pyramids, various angles, uh, and different angles having different effects from, from my standpoint as a vortex detective. Right. And then um, the uh, if, if we could just briefly touch on uh, kind of like, well, why is a vortex guy coming on a UFO show? To my mind, there. You know, there's kind of the obvious, obvious, sorry, obvious overlap in the Venn diagram for me is, or the obvious question might be, what's the relationships of vortexes to, to UFOs? And uh, we might take a minute to kind of quibble about the exact definition of vortexes, but to, if we think in terms of places on the planet that have um, kind of a geophysical or an earth energy of some kind, an electromagnetic energy, or maybe some other kind of subtle energy. Um, and the lines, you know, a geometric pattern of lines connecting geometric points. Um, there's a very obvious connection in that there was an author named Bruce Cathy, C-A-T-H-I-E, a pilot in New Zealand who put together a series of books that made that connection very, very explicitly. He had sightings which he mapped and he found they fell on a certain grid. Now, it's not the grid that I mentioned earlier. Different researchers have different kinds of grids. Kathy's grid was a, or Bruce Cathy's grid was 
a based on a cube, whereas the grid that I mentioned earlier, the Earth star globe, that's mentioned uh, based on a little bit different geometry. But in the the Bruce Cathy books did make that explicit connection between UFOs and uh, ley lines or vortexes, and he's not the only two re- researcher to have done so either. Mm-hmm. But to I, bring it down, oh, can I, can I chime in about that a little bit? Because I read um, pretty much any FOIA that I could get my hands on in public domain, and he came up. And the reason he came up was the government was interested in this theory, very interested. They actually had several FOIAs about it. Um, mm-hmm. And they, and the reason for that was because not only did he try to map that connection, but he said this was predictive. Like you could use that grid to predict where they would go. So that was why the government was interested. There was that, and he had a, a theory as well about how nuclear detonation could only take place at certain points on his grid and at certain times. Do you think that happened, though? Do you think they followed the grid for the nuclear detonations? You know, I can't say that I can follow Bruce Cathy's uh, reasoning well enough to, to make a, a reasoned de- decision on my own. Um, but... Uh, I think that it is uh, important to bring the subject down to kind of ground truth it for for you and for your listeners. And, you know, what? how does that relate for me? Well, I'm not out UFO hunting, um, but if I were, um, it's almost like going to watch the Northern Lights. I mean, I have a certain kinds of criteria I have in mind. Uh, part of me wants dark skies, although, you know, part of me feels like oh, that's not important. Um, but uh, in general, uh, if you, if you, me, our listeners, if we're looking to, for a place, if we're looking to go to a place that's going to have healing energies or be conducive to us practicing our psychic abilities which might include contacting these other intelligences, uh, calling in the ships or the orbs or whatever it is, uh, then uh, I would suggest that you might want to um, consider, like, well, what is a vortex? What vortexes are in my area? Because there are vortexes in your area. And what what kinds of landscape features that I can see and features that I can't see in the landscape, what kinds of landscape features contribute to that kind of energy? Is it waterfalls, mountaintops? Where do I feel elated and energized? You can identify places in your area, go to those places, practice practice your psychic abilities or your your mm-hmm. contact. And, um, you know, and I think the crop circle phenomenon for me is worth kind of just wrapping into this conversation about um, where, where are these um, trigger, what is the source of these triggering events? What is their relationship to the landscape, the place in the landscape? 
It's interesting because um, a friend of mine, Frank Milborn, once said that he was told that some crop circles are created by the craft absorbing from the earth energy. And they oh, create. nice. Yep. Nice. So, so they're basically using some earth energy of some kind, geomagnetic fields of some kind, and basically searing the earth when they t absorb it, unfortunately. You know, and that's what he believes some of the crop. Well, he said at the time, he may have changed his mind at this point. It was some time ago um, that he believed that that might be related to the crop circles, the earth's energy itself, the earth's fields. Hmm. See, I think these, uh, you know, these hypotheses, they're super stimulating to consider. Uh, and uh, I think they, you know, we've been, we've been seemingly, there's been a trigger. Uh, we're meant to be evolving and considering these expansive ideas. But I'm really, for my part, I want to get out on the earth and kind of like make it grow corn. As one of my teachers used to say, it's like we can't spend all our time like at the podcast. We have to get out there on the landscape, you know, take our shoes off, uh, walk barefoot, you know, on the sacred ground, wade into the water, you know, uh, eat the wild foods, uh, put away the devices, you know, prep ourselves for the pilgrimage the vision quest, whatever it is, create the circumstances to go out and have that contact. I think what people, and uh, both, uh, well, there's an author, John Michel, M-I-C-H-E-L-L, -L, John Michel, who's considered the, like the godfather of Earth mysteries research, who wrote a book called Flying Saucer Vision, where he talks about how uh, these these ideas, essentially, these we could call them thought forms, how they manifest kind of according to our preconceived notions, how they appear as they're, you know, as we're willing to see them. And uh, I've got a lovely story about that from a friend of mine who was uh, he was meditating on a bed of crystals that I had set up. My friend Craig was uh i'd set out a bed of crystals he was meditating on those and he had a vision of jesus he's not christian but uh he had a vision of jesus and he knew it was jesus and jesus was dark-skinned and he had the conscious thought like well that's not right and in that moment jesus transformed into more of the light-skinned being which craig is right and it was just like a moment of we're going to appear the way either to, to defy your expectations or to meet your expectations. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting how often experiencers talk about a facade dropping in front of them, mm -hmm. not necessarily intentionally. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's almost funny. They're like, when it does happen, the being's like, oh, crap. <laughs> you know, so it's, so it's like, are we being protected from something, you know, that they don't want us to see or is is it like we latched on to something so they latched on to it with us um is it all sort of like a hologram or a, or a 
projection from AI from far, far away that they're hoping that we're going to pick up and like it's going to be something we follow back to somewhere else. You know, it's just like a little breadcrumb. You know, it's so many possibilities with that, you know. But I wanted to um, touch on, you know, the, the work with vortexes, the work with the spiritual places that kind of open us up to these possibilities a little more. Since you have gone out there, have you had like certain places just kind of give you that sense of awe and overpowering spirituality or whatever connectivity? Um, have you felt that sensation where you can actually feel connected to the earth? I do. I do uh, more and more all the time. And mm -hmm. I didn't didn't start out that way for me. Um, I you know, definitely started out being very insensitive and kind of needing to be hit over the head with a two by four. But I've had the intention, desire and asked to become more and more sensitive to these subtle energies. And uh, so I, I sense the energies in different parts of my body, different ways, different people sense it in different ways, sometimes as a tingling or pressure in the head or sense of motion, um, heat or cold, uh, hair standing up. Uh, so those, those kinds of energies, uh, I feel, uh, sometimes a tingling in my third eye. So I get a real sense of like, Oh, this is, this is triggering me. This is activating my chakras. And I can feel that almost at any time or anywhere at this point, I can uh, look at a symbol on my computer screen and, and pick up energy from that. And, uh, uh, you know, walking up one side of a stream and down the other, I'm going to pass through numerous different kinds of energy fields. And so it, it sounds like you've just sort of opened yourself up to it and have a whole bunch of sensations that, your body is almost like the antenna for right well are you kidding because <laughs> i think you're setting me up for that one uh i think it was your guest dr gregory little who said that the whole body is an antenna yes and i said dad he stole my line uh that's 100 percent true everything is an antenna uh, just couldn't agree more. And uh, so uh, for my part, I'm, I'm the vortex detective. I'm out there exploring the landscape. Uh, what can I see visually? What can I feel kinesthetically? Uh, including, you know, which, which direction is the breeze blowing mm -hmm. predominantly at this time of day, at this time of year, and just trying to, uh, uh, to surrender to, to immersing myself in all, all those subtle energies of place, including, you know, consciousness and, and magic, because there's a huge component of that at a lot of places. And hopefully that's good juju. And uh, I don't go looking for trouble around hospitals and graveyards and insane asylums and such. Yeah, I, I will say, I told you before we started recording that I did research ghost when I was in my um childhood and then i actually tried to do some investigations and i found out that it was a very bad sensation <laughs> yeah to have ghosts near you 
like yeah. it's not something i um i don't know why but i recently tried to go near one again and i'm just no i remember now this is not a good sensation i don't like that energy um so i will not continue in all likelihood to do a lot more ghost hunting i don't know i almost went last weekend i was not able to go um with a friend um because there are some tours that are also investigations but i'm like you know what <laughs> i remember it's a cold feeling it's it's both like a shock and cold not the best um yeah so yeah it's, uh, it's the same and similar with vortexes actually we don't want to uh uh whitewash it or anything uh and one of the principles of alchemy is that anything that has any potency, any power at all, uh, anything that can heal can kill. And uh, depending on the energy of the place, uh, the geophysical energies, and not to mention the magical, okay, intentional consciousness energies, uh, you, you need to go in being self-aware. How is this making me feel at this time? The place itself and you also are going to respond individually according to whatever your biorhythms are so uh, it is important as we move through space as we move from place to place to be aware um you know what am i feeling <laughs> well, what part of this feeling might be coming from the place itself places these places are holding energy just like somebody's prized wedding ring is going to hold some energy these places are holding energy as well. And as we move from place to place, uh, certainly important for us to, if we feel ill at ease in a certain place to realize, Oh, I can change my place and maybe change how I feel. Yeah. I actually um, have found that I get literally a feeling in my gut sometimes. Right. Um, yeah. And if I, what I call push it, I could use it to answer questions <laughs> like that's such a strange thing to say out loud but like okay. it's that where that energy is right and that gut area answers those questions and lets me know like what's going to happen it's a very strange thing but i want to like point out the science behind some of this to people who are like what are they talking about i want to remind people that birds use the geomagnetic forces on the planet to navigate um, there's some mammals that people believe may also be able to do the same thing. Um, you know, the the forces that are part of the planet are basically connected to what's known as the EM spectrum. The EM spectrum is everything. You know, it's everything from from light to sound to um, the the vibrations that we sense, and it's everything. <laughs> So it is, there's science behind this stuff. If you guys want to look into it, there's a lot. <laughs> so Right, right, right. Thank you for that. I do like to say that I, what I, what uh the, that vortex maps is the science behind earth magic. And I go to pretty great lengths. In fact, uh, in, I want to offer your listeners, if they'll uh, contact me, if they'll send me an email through and i'll give my email address at this point my email address is ask ask at danshaw.com if you'll send me an email ask at danshaw.com i'll send you a free vortex ebook to download i'd like to send you uh how vortexes affect us 
It's about 100 pages explaining all the various ways that the energetic fields that, that we live in that surround us from the earth, from the sun, all the different sources of all the various kinds of frequencies in the electromagnetic spectrum, how that affects our living cells, our cells that have obviously grown up and evolved over millennia in an electromagnetic environment. So that uh, really uh, very scientific unity between the electromagnetism of our cells and the environment we live in. And uh, it's important uh, to underscore the point you made that animals do have a magnetic sense. They have magneto reception. Uh, many, many animals do. Birds the, using their uh, magnetic sense to navigate bees, salmon, other fish, all, all very well demonstrated. And humans have a um, significant amount of magnetite, which is a magnetic material, in the area of their skull, which is in the area of the sinuses. So there is a potential mechanism for us to have this magneto reception. And, uh, you know, I don't like to, um, I don't want to oversimplify the phenomena, but that is one mechanism by which we might be able to explain dowsing or explain uh, why, why certain places make us feel a certain way or affect the way we think, uh, or maybe why people have paranormal experiences because the, the brain is being affected by the surrounding electromagnetic field. And there is research, uh, good academic research by a guy named Persinger about uh, stimulating the brain in certain ways with electromagnetic fields to create the, the God helmet, it's called. Yeah, I've heard of that, but I was just thinking if you guys can't get into any of those just that sense of direction some people have like that gut feeling that they're going the wrong way is yeah. also in my opinion a really simple way to explain it right um and anyone who's a really good paranormal researcher has an em detector and they will go look for spike spots i remember um you know also i've done research on electromagnetic and they have found that electromagnetic, if you use it, can do a lot of different things to our brain, um, including causing people states of ecstasy <laughs> or causing uh, fear states. So it's really interesting how we do already connect to that. There's concerns related to like towers where cell phones are, you know, pinging off and sending out uh -huh. EM. There's uh, people who use Faraday cages to block themselves from EM. Um, yep. uh, there's people who tell you to like unplug things and stuff so that you sleep better because of EM. And there's even you know concern that sometimes EM causes cancer and things like that. So there's a, a lot when it comes to our reception to the EM. For sure. There's some classic books. Body Electric is one. There's another Body Magnetic. It's another. And that's although as you know, Western science is relatively late to the game uh, of understanding electricity and magnetism and that it's one phenomena and not two things and that uh, our brains are not just chemical, but they're every cell is electric. Uh, 
and uh, super excited the other day, actually, because I was at uh, I was on campus at the local university and uh, went into the, the chemistry building, the science building. They had a table with some free books. I'm like, oh, what do we have here? And there's a two volume set on ion channels mm. in physiology. So I'm like, oh, cool. You know, how am I ever going to read this two volume set on ion channels? But I'll, you know, I'll take a look at it and see what it has to suggest for how external electromagnetic fields might affect everything, every part of our body. Right. And um, actually, for I don't, I'm not exactly sure what they call it right now i haven't looked at it in a while but they are now putting like magnetic wands around people's skulls to try yeah. to affect whether or not they have depression or other psychological conditions um because they are now tuning into this more and more um and those people who by the way speaking of tuning use tuning forks the reason they're doing that is because sound is on the spectrum, guys. Sound is part of the, the frequency, is part of the spectrum. When we respond to music, that is part of this spectrum. Um, and this spectrum is so powerful um, that I, I cannot help but keep going back to UAPs with it because it, it would explain so many things, um, including, you know, how something might be able to go from one like type of uh, state of being to another if you can manipulate that spectrum you are god essentially because you can go from light to sound to magnetic to terahertz to whatever all the way to matter so that's a little scary for us to have more and more control but we'll be using it in quantum computing soon for those who didn't catch that that's part of quantum computing Wow. Okay. Bent my brain there a little bit. Yeah, but, there's a lot uh, going on with it. <laughs> like yeah. they say it's on the sun uh, that, you know, that's where the matter is created through the EM spectrum. Gamma's on the spectrum, you know, radiation. It's a huge spectrum. Well, I'm, I was just put in mind of what we think of as being orbs. And what do you have any experience did you yeah i know a little bit about the orbs <laughs> there's all the so the, the, the interesting thing about the orbs is that people also talk about metal spheres right uh, but those are different aren't they what are they because of what i just said i wonder now what if well, they're going from a light to matter using the spectrum well, I don't doubt it. I mean, it's it's worth raising it for this topic of discussion. But I, in my experience, uh, I believe I've had some some contact and some experience with with orbs, taken photos and had them show up for photos, like when they weren't there a minute ago. I don't know if you've ever had that, but uh, mm -hmm. in a similar way to people are calling in the ships. Um, the orbs like to hang out at places like the Montana Vortex. Hmm. There's a tourist attraction in Montana, which is some kind of genuine vortex. Uh, it was recognized by the indigenous people before the settlers ever got there. And you could definitely feel the energy. And there's orbs quite frequently, other kinds of phenomena. And uh, so I've 
I've had some interactions with orbs and I've seen them be uh, photographed them, I should say, and seen photographs of them behaving in seemingly very, you know, present three-dimensional intentional conscious ways. And those, so I, I guess what I'm suggesting is that there's consciousness associated with whatever those orbs are, whether it's right. plasma, however physical or non-physical it is. Uh, yeah, there's, there's something really weird with that. <laughs> okay. So not only do orbs show up when we're talking about ghosts, right? When people talk about that, but they show up for Bigfoot, they show up for UFOs and they show up for religion right all the time uh even to the point where you could argue maybe the halo is an orb around somebody um i hadn't thought of that right so um orbs are a huge part of this they're probably the easiest way for an intelligence to interact um is my thought because they're just so pervasive much easier than going solid and becoming a sphere or some other thing yeah but what's also interesting is sometimes when people talk about orbs, they say they see entities inside them. So it's yeah. more, so there's a lot going on with the orbs. There are also, there's also another level to it where people are starting to recognize this as um, some orbs as being a natural thing, right? So there's like a full spectrum of things to explore with orbs as well. Um, there definitely a huge part of the foyas lots and lots of people saw orbs lots and lots of people saw spheres um associated with the uaps yeah they were in ufo foyas because the orbs get associated with you're right everything crop circles bigfoot just everything and it's it would be natural for us as pattern recognizing beings to see faces in a photograph of a uh, you know, reflection on a speck of dust. That would be normal and natural for us. But I've also seen these things seemingly rotating in uh, subsequent photos and three rotating in three dimensions. Uh, so um, there's, it's a very, it's, it's almost a case of seek and you shall find. Uh, just like with vortex maps, it seems like there's almost an endless variety of vortex maps. Mm. And then with Bigfoot, there's like normal Bigfoot and paranormal Bigfoot. And with orbs, there may be like in crop circles, maybe there's like man-made man crop circles, energetically earth energy made crop circles, spaceship made crop circles. I mean, there could be like many levels of answers. And with the, the orbs as well, maybe there's like dead orbs, living orbs, Fake yeah. orbs, uh, hopes, dust mm -hmm. back orbs. Right. And then there's the issue of ball lightning, which scientists argue about too. And that is essentially an orb, right? So um, <laughs> that's another aspect of the Hesseline lights. Also, lots of orbs. Um, <clears throat> so with ball lightning, a lot. Of, I've had someone tell me they had ball lightning come into their house and move around, not grounding, by the way, which is not something a normal lightning would do, right? And then I saw a news thing that was the same thing, 
the this ball lightning comes into their house and starts moving around but in the, the case of the person i spoke to um it seemed to be intelligently controlled and it was there for some time and i'm like well why didn't it ground out why wouldn't it just go to something and shoot and right. go out ball, ball lightning that's ball lightning finds the ground that's what that's what that electrical energy does so if it's not doing that then therefore it is not doesn't have the same electrical it may appear as ball lightning but it's doesn't it's not operating under the same forces right but one would say scientists still argue exactly what ball lightning is and they say it might be multiple things right so you know it's, it's it was a mystery to scientists until recently they're they're trying to say it's plasma um but mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the plasma debate's a whole nother can of worms too because some people even think there might be intelligent plasma so like you can't win <laughs> well it's brilliant to have this conversation with you um i'm not sure that as a vortex detective i've lent too much light to your subject i hope i have Yes, I think that you're doing great. I think you're doing great work. I think a lot of people are intrigued by um, finding any way that they can improve their investigations of the paranormal, be it for Bigfoot, be it for ghosts, be it for UFOs, you know. So um, in the last few minutes that we have, um, I really want you to get to talk more about what it means to be a vortex detective in the sense of what are the vortexes? What is... What is it people really need to take away about that? Right. Well, I do have a takeaway, which it's a little formulaic, let's say, but I have uh, encapsulated it this way. There's an infinite amount of energy available everywhere, all the time, for our physical healing our psychic opening, and for harmonizing the planet. So I spent about half an hour unpacking that in one of the videos on my website. Um, but I, again, I'm approaching the subject. Every Vortex researcher is going to approach from a different angle. Uh, I'm approaching the subject from the standpoint of the unity between the physical body or you could say the aura, even the energy body, the human energy body and the planetary energy body. There's a unity between ourselves and the, the electromagnetic field that surrounds us. So uh, my approach to the science behind earth magic is a very, is, is hopefully very focused on healing ourselves and the planet. There's other researchers who are coming to it from the standpoint of trying to understand or create free energy devices, for example. So, so that's my approach. And for our our audience, I would I would want to support and encourage our audience that they know more than they understand about vortexes, that they already know the places in their vicinity which are highly energetic. They're often preserved as some kind of park. Uh, they are less, less trodden. Uh, 
the fewer people there, there's probably darker night skies, more nature sounds. Uh, go to those places, the shore, the, the, the rivers, the, the lakes, the mountaintops. Um, go there with that uh, sacred intention, just as a pilgrim would go or somebody going on a vision quest, prepare for the journey, uh, find ways to connect to the energy there, breathing the air, uh, absorbing the colors of the place, perhaps eating some of the wild edibles and, and know that the, all those things, the, what you see, what you hear, what you smell, the very vibrations of the earth are, are all working to harmonize our brain waves and our physiology um, towards, towards a certain perfection. You know, it's exciting because the, the more you look into all of these things, the more you see the merger of science and, you know, maybe everyone, not everyone's a fan, but the government and, you know, what people have been saying for centuries about these things. Um, and it's just really exciting to see that because I just wanted to point out to people that the government maps the geomagnetic fields of the planet also like they made a big campaign going out on ships mapping everything and they you can actually go look at some of those maps too um there's people who argue that those things shift and they have to keep redoing it um but it was a concern for aviation and safety and for all those um little devices that they have on the ships and and an aircraft um that they do that so that's where the government was coming in. You know, obviously scientists and geologists have been looking at this. Um, people who study astrology talk about, you know, um, where the stars were some time ago, because obviously the earth is shifting, which kind of helps us to understand a little bit about the polarity and all that stuff too. And so, and then it's just like, you know, it's just part of our innate sense of what magic is, is that connection to the earth. So it's all merging. Beautifully said. Beautifully yeah. said. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. Exciting times. Exciting right. times. Thanks for thanks for making the time to have this conversation. Of course. Please let people know where they can find you. Right. You can find my research and research from many different geomancers and, and earth energy researchers at Vortex maps.com i'll spell it v-o-r-t-e-x-m-a-p-s vortexmaps.com and again send me an email through the website or at ask at danshaw.com and i'll gladly send you a free ebook to download i'll send how vortexes affect us i think you'll find it pretty scientifically sound uh the at least the basis for the idea that uh, we are sensitive and can be deeply, profoundly affected by these subtle and electromagnetic and other earth energies around us. And thank you to everyone who listened today. I greatly appreciate that you spent the time to listen to this dojo episode. This was Deb from Deb's Dad at Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. If you need to find me, I'm at Study of UAPs across a lot of social media sites. 
I'm also with the UAP Medical Coalition and with Calling All Beings on YouTube and of course all through their podcast. So thank you again for everyone listening. Take care.